I did something recently that really gave me deep pause. I switched wireless carriers for my phone. The one I switched from, AT&T. And I got a big lump in my throat when I did it because ever since I was born, we were AT&T customers from back when the local subsidiaries of Ma Bell were called Baby Bells, like Illinois Bell, New York Telephone Company, Southern Bell. They were a monopoly, the only game in town. Remember the commercials? Reach out and touch someone? Some of those commercials were really tearjerkers. They hooked you. Joey called this morning. So how's jo- Joey? What's wrong? Nothing. Nothing? How'd Joey call 2,000 miles? The kids are all right? Fine. Sally? Fine. The kids are fine. Sally's fine. So why did he call? I asked him that too. And why are you crying? Because Joey said I called. Just because I love you, Mom. Reach out, reach out and touch someone. And the phones on the wall with the rotary dials all made by Western Electric, another part of the bell system. And you could always tell which mother in the neighborhood liked to talk on the phone the most because that family's wall phone in the kitchen had a super long cord. And even after Mob Bell was broken up and we had choices, I stuck with AT&T all the way up to a few weeks ago. Why? Tradition. AT&T had this giant grip on my emotions, my heart. It took me until just a few weeks before recording this episode to finally, after decades, to choose a better deal and a better signal in the places I travel to regularly and to get past the ridiculousness of my wife and I having two different cell carriers when we could pay a lot less if we got a bundled package to finally get me to change. All because of tradition. I love tradition. Loved ones, what's going on? I'm Bruce, and this is A Bigger Story. Every Christmas, I insist we all go to a Christmas tree farm, freeze our rear ends off, and find and cut down our Christmas tree. The rest of the family just humors me. And there are certain Christmas movies that I have to watch or it's not Christmas. Do you have those? One of those for me? Christmas Vacation. And why did Clark Griswold go to such astounding, difficult, frustrating lengths to get all those Christmas lights and decorations up and plugged in and lit up? Tradition. And that tradition made him happy, as traditions often do, as long as they're your traditions and not someone else's that just annoy you. And it helps, too, if the tradition isn't costing you in a way you really can't justify, like keeping my AT&T service when it meant we were paying double what we could pay if we bundled. That was just silly. And it took me a long time to get there. And my wife, Maureen, waited patiently for me to come around. I think I require a lot of patience from other people, especially her. And all this leads me to a little bit of a mini rant. But first, let me start with not a rant. When I go to church... My personal preference is what we call in the biz smells and bells, majestic organ music, vestments, chanting, incense. The author Annie Dillard describes it really well in her book, Holy the Firm. She writes, The higher Christian churches come at God with an unwarranted air of professionalism, with authority and pomp, as though they knew what they were doing, as though people in themselves were an appropriate set of creatures to have dealings with God. I often think 
of the set pieces of liturgy as certain words which people have successfully addressed to God without their getting killed. In the high churches, they saunter through the liturgy like mohawks along a strand of scaffolding who have long since forgotten the danger. If God were to blast such a congregation to bits, the congregation would be, I believe, genuinely shocked. That's Annie Dillard. Now, not everyone likes that style of church. Some of you may not like church at all. And the fact that I'm describing any of that, even as a style, reveals a bias. Because what I might see as a style, another might see as substance. And we might both be right. For a couple of years, I was part of an online group of clergy of various denominational traditions. There's that word again. From Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox, Episcopalian, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, you name it, we were represented. The ones who founded this crazy collection of clergy had in mind that there was a lot that we didn't learn in seminary and we could help each other by sharing questions and wisdom. But as it grew to include over 13,000 clergy, uh huh, 13,000, the group devolved to where there really weren't a lot of questions, instead a lot of declarations disguised as questions, and definitely not a lot of wisdom. The problem was that so many of the participants were convinced that their particular denominational tradition was the right and best way. So responses to suggestions that didn't cohere with their denomination's traditions were met with things like, well, that's not Methodist, or that's not Baptist enough, or my bishop would never permit that. It's not in the book, not the Bible book, but a book of like prescribed prayers. You get the idea. Meanwhile, most of these clergy people's churches were shrinking because the growing majority of spiritually hungry but institutionally alienated people in the world could really not care less if something was Baptist enough or Lutheran enough or Catholic enough and on and on and on. My friend Leonard Sweet once told me a story of going through an airport, dashing between flights, being hungry, and stopping at a soft pretzel stand to grab a pretzel. He asked for it with no butter and no salt. Turns out the butter is what makes the salt stick to the pretzel, and I had never thought that through before. Anyway, the person in the pretzel stand said, I'm sorry, I can't give you a pretzel with no salt and no butter. But that's what Len wanted. Len saw the pretzels right there on those metal hooks and pleaded, look, I'm running to catch a plane. Just grab one of those pretzels right there. Leave off the salt and butter. Same reply. I'm sorry, I can't give you a pretzel with no salt and no butter. Len asked how much the pretzels were. A buck fifty. It was the early 90s. Len pulled out a five and said, here, keep the five. Just give me one of those pretzels hanging right there. Again, the person working the stand refused. Finally, Len gave up, but before he moved on, he asked, please, just help me understand, because Len's a curious type, just help me understand, why won't you sell me a pretzel with no salt and no butter? And the pretzel guy said, because I can't imagine anyone eating one of my pretzels without salt and butter, therefore I will not sell one that way. And that right there, I think, is the problem with traditions. Sometimes traditions are tradition and transcend matters of personal taste and preference, and sometimes they don't. And sometimes something that was a tradition sort of devolves into a personal preference, small t tradition. Somebody once said it this way. Nobody's sure who first said it, but it's really good. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. And nowhere does that distinction become more muddied than in churches. Tradition 
and traditions are important things. Culture, values get transmitted by means of tradition. But in a church, how do you work out which is which? How do you work out if some traditional practice is a vital transmission of the living faith of those who have gone before, or a dead practice of the living that has become just a matter of mere preference? And who's right? Which churches are right? Those that place a high degree of emphasis on tradition and ritual, or those who don't? Because different church tribes fight about that stuff a lot. And within churches, people fight about it a lot. And all that fighting among Christians is not what I would call brand positive. The author and seminary instructor, Reggie McNeil, he's really right on when he says this, a growing number of people are leaving the institutional church for a new reason. They're not leaving because they've lost their faith. They're leaving the church to preserve their faith. So how do you decide? How do you distinguish between a tradition that's vital and life-giving and therefore still important, from one that's just kind of more representative of the dead faith of the living. Actually, I don't think it's all that hard. For that growing majority of spiritually alive, spiritually hungry, but institutionally alienated people, for that growing majority of spiritually alive, spiritually hungry, but institutionally alienated people, It's not going to be because we Baptists or we Lutherans or we Presbyterians or whoever we say we are invoke our traditions and say, it's our tradition and we've always done it that way. That's not going to matter. It doesn't matter now. It is going to be because some group, some community of people figured out how to use their traditions as a portal to step through into a communal life marked by radical forgiveness. Radical reconciliation, a radical form of love that's self-sacrificial, that feeds the hungry, heals the sick, lifts up the lowly, brings justice to those who are treated unjustly, includes the excluded. It doesn't matter how weird or crazy a tradition looks to any of us. If that tradition is resulting in some community of people behaving like that, that's a tradition. And it's worth holding on to. And those are the kind of traditions that will lead all of us into a bigger story. Thanks for listening. Stay in touch. Bruce at brucegold.tv. Remember, you are loved.